Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where everybody's looking for something in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 61, which begins with Max turning down the offer of a new contract, and it ends with Papagallo trying to guess Max's backstory. Happy Monday, Julia. <laughs> Happy Monday. Side note, I've noticed in editing that often when I say Happy Monday back, I often sound rather dour. <laughs> <laughs> The first thing we see in today's minute is Max in profile pumping gas, and he looks up from doing that, looks to Papagallo, shakes his head, and says, I've got all I need right here. Because Papagallo has just said, we'll make a new contract, we'll sign a new deal, we'll you know, make some sort of agreement where you drive the rig and we'll give you something in return, and Max is firing back. And I might have mentioned this on Friday. But he's firing back with, there's nothing you guys have that I need. That's an interesting statement from Max. From our point of view, we understand a little bit more about Max than Papagallo does. So we get that he lives his life in the black on black. And it is outfitted exactly the way he needs it to be. And he's got his dog in his car and his shotgun and his box of dog food. And he is happy that way. Well, I'm not sure happy is the right word. He is content that way, to mm -hmm. continue that way. Papagallo doesn't know that. Yeah. Papagallo knows nothing about Max other than he's a good driver, and that's why he wants to sign a new contract with him. Right. Max would be perfectly content, happy as a clam, with just the Interceptor, Dog, and full gas tanks. Those three things, really all he needs. I hesitate to agree with you because of... I think it's tomorrow's minute. Yeah, I hesitate to agree with you because of tomorrow's minute, which I'll expound upon tomorrow okay. when we actually see Max reacting some more. Okay. So Papagallo points out that Max doesn't have a future, and that is something that the compound can offer him. Some way for him to become more than just the road warrior to actually settle down and build a life because Max is a wanderer. He is a vagabond, pretty much a hobo, so to speak, just going somewhat aimlessly from place to place, you could argue. It's not exactly a lifestyle that someone reaches the golden years of their life and can sustain easily. No, good point. All of the stories that we have of Max, these four movies that we have to work with, Max is fairly young. Right. Still. And yeah, what's going to happen to him when he grows old? How long is he really going to survive? How long can he keep it up? Yeah, how long can he keep it up? How long can he avoid getting an infection and dying from it? <laughs> Honestly. I mean, the, the most basic thing of scratching his hand on the rust on the black on black, he could die from that. So I think realistically, we don't need to question what's going to happen to him long term, because there is not going to be a long term. He's going to starve to death. He's going to get into an accident or, and die. He's going to die of tetanus or gangrene 
or eating something poisonous in the wilderness by mistake, or dehydration for crying out loud. I love how one of the first things <laughs> that you point out that is going to kill Max is not a raider or an animal. No, he's going to scratch himself on a rusty bit of the black on black and get tetanus and die from that. I'm Honestly, I am shocked that it hasn't happened already. <laughs> I know that Max tends to be a little Mary Sue-ish, but even people who are good at everything scratch themselves on dumb things sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I scratch myself with my own nails on accident. So I'm the type of person that keeps up to date with my tetanus shot because I have to. So you're thinking that the end of Max's story is pretty much a, and this is my Game of Thrones reference for the week, that Max is going to pretty much pull up Cal Drogo, get a particularly nasty paper cut, have it get infected, and that's what brings him down. I think it's the most likely thing. I mean, right now, in the story of this movie, the most likely thing is to be killed by a marauder. Yeah. But these are the extraordinary times in his life. Most of his time is spent going from fuel source to fuel source to food source to food source. And at those times, at the average times i think it's incredibly likely that he's gonna die of some infection yeah or an injury especially as he gets older because as you get older your body becomes less capable of fighting off infection and sickness and various ailments that someone in their prime would have no trouble with but someone who is advanced in years if he lasts that long he'll find a lot of trouble I would argue that Max is no longer in his prime. When was the last time that he ate a properly balanced nutrition meal? Well, I mean, I want—I don't mean Wait. physical prime as in, like, I'm well-rested and well-fed. I mean, like, age-wise. Right. And what I'm countering with is that because he has a poor diet, his body is not being the best it can be. He's probably aging faster than you or I who have access to proper food, proper variety of food to keep us healthy and keep us from aging prematurely. Yeah. You know, not at this moment does he have the body of somebody older, but he is his prime is going to leave much quicker because he does not have a good diet. And his lack of planning is really going to come up and bite him at some point. It's... Exactly like Papa Gallo says, he doesn't have a future. He's not thinking about tomorrow. He is so focused on carpeing that diem that he is not putting away for tomorrow in any sense. I would say that he is so wrapped up in the past that he puts as little effort into the present as he can, therefore putting no effort at all into the future. Okay. As if there's a finite amount of focus and he's putting all of his focus on running from the past. Exactly. We all experience things like that. We have a finite amount of focus. And when we have too much to focus on, something has to go. And everybody handles it differently. Some people pick something to go. That's usually what I do, is I can't do everything, something has to go. Or quality goes. Or your quality of life goes, but you have to pick something. So Max has chosen not to think about the future. That's because fair. Because his world is full of the past. Mm -hmm. 
So Papagallo pleads with Max to buy a ticket for 2,000 miles, and the curmudgeon takes this opportunity to interject himself into the conversation and says, you have to come, Sonny. This is where we're going, paradise. And he holds up a series of postcards that have been taped together into an accordion fold, and they all fall out one on top of the other. And they are postcards for Sunshine Coast, Queensland. Now, way back in minute 38, when the curmudgeon first brought up the idea of, oh, that's 2,000 miles from here, I thought they were heading towards Cape York, because when at the end of the movie they say the Great Northern Tribe, well, I think, okay, well, northern, northern bit of the continent must be Cape York. And it all sounded very well and good. Nice climate, nice biome for them to live in. And I didn't think to do my homework to look forward to this minute when it actually tells us plain exactly where they want to go. I'm not so sure about that. I wonder if these postcards, one of which, only one of which says Sunshine Coast. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that is specifically where they're going or if those pictures are representative of where they're going. Oh, I believe 100% that they are going to Sunshine Coast, Queensland. Okay. That they are heading out that way. Do you think they're heading out that way because of the postcards? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Every single one of those pictures is idyllic. Okay. So they chose their destination because, hey, look, this place is beautiful. Yep. With no thought. Let's go there. There's green and clear water and loveliness. Yeah, with no thought of how it might look at that current time. Because all of those postcards are pre-collapse postcards. They might as well be historical documents at this point because they don't know what kind of quality Sunshine Coast is going to be in when they get there. I was popping around Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone and a couple of our regulars, Joe and Ian, they were talking on the listeners page about Minute 38 and suggested that perhaps in the context of the narrative, the compound is further away from the coast than the actual shooting location and that would justify the whole 2,000 mile ticket. Because, according to Google Maps, the drive from Silverton to Sunshine Coast is only 1,017 miles. 1,637 kilometers, if you're metric. Anyway, they were open to the idea of the curmudgeon overestimating the distance, which I think is exactly what's going on in this movie. The thing about that drive, though, from Silverton to Sunshine Coast is that at highway speed, you're looking at about 18 hours. So less than one solid day of driving, which granted that's at highway speed. There's no way that any convoy coming out of that compound would be able to go highway speed the entire time to say anything about what infrastructure is left. So probably stretch it out over several days, but entirely doable nonetheless with how much supplies they've built up. I went on Wikipedia and I looked up Sunshine Coast, Queensland. And just as a quick blurb, an introductory bit, Sunshine Coast is a peri-urban area and the third most populated area in the Australian state of Queensland. It is located 100 kilometers or 62 miles north of the state capital, Brisbane, in southeast Queensland on the Pacific Ocean coastline. Its urban area spans approximately 60 kilometers or 37 miles of coastline and hinterland from Pelican Waters to Tewantin. I really hope I pronounced that one right. 
The estimated urban population of Sunshine Coast as of June 2015 was 302,122 people, making it the ninth most populous in the country. The area was first settled by Europeans in the 19th century, with development progressing slowly until tourism became an important industry, and then the place got much busier. The average maximum temperature is 25.4 Celsius, 78 Fahrenheit. The average minimum temperature is 15.8 Celsius, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So still very comfortable. Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. And a lot of the pictures that you see of Sunshine Coast online look very similar to all of those postcards that the curmudgeon is holding up. They've got beaches, national parks, industry, public transit, (laughs) all sorts of stuff. I seem to remember, and I'm I'm not sure why, maybe you can help me out with that. I seem to remember that the compound dwellers intended to join the Great Northern Tribe. Or did they form the Great Northern Tribe? I'm pretty sure they formed the Great Northern Tribe. Okay, I'm not sure where I came up with the idea that they were looking to join another group that they had, like, heard of or something. That was always my assumption, Okay. But I really don't know where I got that from. Yeah, I never got that idea. Okay, so that's not something I got from the movie. That was something I concocted in my own head. Yeah. Okay. The curmudgeon continues. 2,000 miles from here, fresh water, plenty of sunshine. And then he smiles at Max and winks as he says, nothing to do but breed. Which is a pretty goofy idea. Yeah, it is a pretty goofy idea. I'm also troubled by the quantity of breeding pairs exactly there's not a sustainable amount of breeding pairs no certainly not to form a community i remember hearing once you need 200 breeding pairs to start a sustainable community yeah to create a genetically stable exact community (laughs) to prevent inbreeding now even even without that lofty goal there doesn't seem to be that many particularly women. I feel like we don't have a good count. I feel like they never at any point outline the demographics of the compound. No. Because people are constantly moving around like ants. Yes. And I'm going off of the people that I have noticed around. I mean, there's obviously the captain's girl. She's nice and young. There are two other women that I've seen around. The one who was assisting in the welding and Mm -hmm. and the brunette mechanic. Yep. They're nice and young. Rebecca's probably too old. Those are the only young women that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. I I think there's another woman I think I remember seeing who might be too old. Yeah, I feel like there are people in the compound that we don't necessarily get to see enough to keep track of them. But I wholeheartedly agree that there are nowhere near enough people. Right. Which makes me think that they would join up with other people that they find already at Sunshine Coast, but I don't think that they're specifically going to join anyone specifically. Yeah. You know who they should find? Mixing movies. They should find the the Young Kids tribe from the end of Thunderdome. That's who they need. Yep. And you know, considering that Papagallo goes on to talk about they have like hope for the future and they maintaining their dignity. That would lead me to think that they are hoping to create a society. Yeah. So that continue. That I, I still wonder what their plans are for breeding. 
I haven't really devoted too much thought to that idea. Partially because it's after-the-fact epilogue stuff that we never really have to worry about. But also because, I don't know, anything could happen in the wasteland. They could find people, people could find them, that sort of stuff. That's very true. But I like the idea of the curmudgeons saying nothing to do with breed because it's telling us that they are banking so much on this being their ideal place to settle that they expect water and food to be so readily available that they'll just be able to thrive unimpeded. Which is very unrealistic. Yeah, it's incredibly positive thinking (laughs) on their part. Based on those photos, and if they have no other knowledge of the area, where are they getting this idea that there's fresh water? I mean, there is bound to be fresh water. There's bound to be rivers and streams that flow into the ocean. But none of that is communicated in those pictures. So I think they're just assuming that there's going to be fresh water. Mm -hmm. They could also be operating off of prior information, just knowing the area. Because, like we said, these are still first-generation wastelanders. Yes. And looking at Google Maps, Sunshine Coast has a pretty sizable... And I mean, granted, I'm looking at Google Maps. I don't have any great sense of scale. But they're might possibly be a freshwater river that flows down from, looks like, out by Nambour, and then it comes down to join the Marucci River, from the looks of it. Yeah. I mean, now that I think about it a moment longer, it makes sense, because that's where cities formed in the first place. Yeah, by sources of freshwater. Exactly. So if you just go to a city or nearby a city, there's going to be a source of freshwater. Yeah. So after hearing that, Max, very politely, I'll say, says, no thanks. I think it's because he's already tried living by the ocean. And granted, they were living by the ocean down in the Melbourne area, and it was a different coast, technically. Like a southern coast as opposed to an eastern coast. That doesn't matter. Being in that sort of environment, again, would probably remind him too much of the life that he had before the collapse. Right. He already lived this life that they are searching for. And he loved it. And he had his thinking chair overlooking the water and the beach and it all fell apart. Yeah. I, and this goes back to what you were saying about him focusing on the past too much. I have a feeling that he's really out there in the wasteland to run away from the life that he had before. Papa Gallo, after hearing Max say no thanks, says, what is it with you, huh? What are you looking for? And I think Max is just looking to run from his past. I think it's really not much more complicated than that. Yeah, I don't think he has a destination. I don't think he has a goal. I think he just wants to wander, Mm -hmm. go on a walkabout, or if that's even the proper terminology. Listeners, did I use that right? Is a walkabout just going out to wander? Please let me know on Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. I think a walkabout is more like an outback hike. Yeah. A little more organized than wandering. Okay. Yeah. As I, they'll let me know. Yes, they will. Papagallo continues. Come on, Max. Everyone's looking for something. You happy out there, are you? Eh? Wandering? I think Max is looking for... I don't know if peace is the right word. Maybe he thinks that if he goes out wandering long enough that he'll forget... 
but at the same time, he probably doesn't want to forget because he's probably still beating himself up over the situation. I mean, his reaction that we're going to see tomorrow is my main thought behind that. So maybe I should save it. I think let's save the reactions to Papagallo for tomorrow. Right. Because that's really where we get it. Yeah. I kind of had a hard time with this minute Mm -hmm. because there's so much dialogue. Yeah. I'm not used to so much dialogue. (laughs) So Papagallo continues. One day blurring into another, you're a scavenger, Max. You're a maggot. Do you know that? You're living off the corpse of the old world. That's really harsh. That is very harsh. He went bad cop fast and hard. He makes a good point, though, because Max is not building anything new. No, yeah, he's absolutely right. I love when he said, living off the corpse of the old world. Exactly. He's not building anything new. He's just scrounging around for what is old. And it's literal as well as figurative, emotional. It's across the board. That's what he's doing. Yeah, because Papagallo and the compound dwellers, they are pulling oil from the ground. They are refining it. They are making more gasoline. Max, on the other hand, is putting drip pans underneath crashed cars and draining tanks that he comes across. He is scavenging in every sense of the word. I agree. And even to the extreme, he's mopping up dirty gasoline off the ground. That is like a step beyond scavenging. Mm -hmm. It's literally scraping by. Yes. (laughs) So Papagallo goes on to say, Tell me your story. Come on, tell me your story. What burned you out? And I instantly think, well, Papagallo, you should have watched Mad Max, the first movie, instead of skipping right to Road Warrior like everybody does. Because then you would have gotten Max's story. And then he asks, what burned you out? Kill one man too many? See too many people die? Lose some family? And this made me think back to that first movie. As far as killing one too many people, I'm pretty sure in that first movie it's only five. Max pretty much kills Knight Rider and Knight Rider's girl because he's the one that's chasing them when they crash. He killed Bubba Zanetti with his shotgun. He killed Toe Cutter by chasing him into the front of that truck, and then he killed Johnny the Boy by chaining him to the truck and then letting it explode. I like the way that Papagallo phrases it because he says, kill one too many people. Yeah. And Max's last kill, Johnny, was the one that was... Out and out murder. Yeah, the one that was most sadistic. It was very dark. Knight Rider and his girl and Toe Cutter were accidents. More or less. Maybe guided accidents, but they were still accidents. They were the fault of the drivers, not Max. Yeah, he just pushed them to that point. Yes. Bubba Zanetti, it was in self-defense. Oh, absolutely. So those four can arguably be not murder- you know, other reasons. But that last one, I think that last one. That's the one man too many. Yes, that is specifically the one man too many. And then, of course, when Papagallo says, see too many people die, lose some family. Obviously, he saw Goose burned very near to death. He was still technically alive when he saw him last, but he saw Goose undergo that. And then, of course, he saw Jesse and Sprague die more or less before his eyes. And, of course, they lead right into lose some family. And lose some family is the statement that really gets to him. And that's probably what we'll focus on first thing tomorrow. Yes. It elicits a reaction, which tips Papagallo off that that's the one. Mm. That's the answer. Yep. 
A note about Papagallo in this scene. Mm -hmm. His acting. Yes. I find it a little bit strange. It's kind of aggressive, and he's physically aggressive towards Max. Yeah. Which accentuates the aggressiveness of his lines. And he also seems kind of unsteady on his feet. I'm saying, well, that's which narratively. I, yes, which I particularly explained. like because he's walking around like he has a leg injury. Yeah. So I really appreciate <laughs> that he actually carried that over, unlike Goose in the last movie, who like miraculously healed during scenes. Right. Got less limpy and uh, stuff like that. So yeah. I really liked that this entire scene, he's acting like he has a leg injury. I also really liked the good cop, bad cop dynamic with the curmudgeon and Papagallo. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it was decided ahead of time. I think that's their natures. Curmudgeon is a little lighter and has this goal in mind. And that's what he naturally uses to try and convince Max. And Papagallo is naturally a little more aggressive and a little darker yeah and that's the tact he takes with max i feel like papagallo recognizes that max has that hard-boiled exterior and that aggression is what he will react to because yes. he's trying to get through to max and max is just brushing him off brushing him off brushing him off and so papagallo is pressing harder and harder trying to find some sort of point where he can break through i see that as a mark of a good leader that he was able to understand enough about him to communicate with him more effectively. Right. Because the curmudgeon made absolutely no difference to Max, what he said. Although, I do gotta say that the curmudgeon making the comment about having plenty of time for breeding did elicit a smile from Max. That's right. It wasn't full smile to the camera, but he did seem to turn up his mouth as if he was laughing at the idea. And then you notice something in the next shot. Yeah, so as Papagallo comes in, starts his bad cop routine, Max turns to him and he's got the remnants of a smile still on his face. And it's actually like a toothy, almost laughing smile. So I'm not sure if that's what George Miller's direction was or if it was Mel actually laughing and it got caught on camera. I'm glad you caught that because I didn't see it all of those times as I was watching the minute. When you brought it up as we were going over notes before recording, I didn't believe you when I actually went back <laughs> and I clicked through the minute to see it. And yeah, if you're looking at Mel Gibson, because I think the way your eye is supposed to be, you're supposed to be focused on Papagallo as right. he moves around the car. And he's already started talking, I believe, yeah. at that point. So... But if you focus on Mel, it looks like before they said action, he was laughing or smiling and they probably, I don't want to say they had two cameras because I'm pretty sure they still only had the one, <laughs> but they started with the shot looking at Max as he turns back to his tank and then they cut to the shot further out where you could see Papagallo coming across to Max. And so he was probably still laughing at the idea of nothing to do but breed. And just the way that the curmudgeon delivered that line, he probably got a real kick out of it and had to turn away to stifle that initial laugh. And then they yelled cut, they repositioned the camera, they yelled action, and it still, I guess, tickled him. Yeah. To a certain extent as he was turning around because that smile fades very fast, which is one of the reasons I didn't notice it. Yeah, it's like as soon as he's 
looking at Papagallo, he's immediately dour again. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much all I have. That's all I have. Tomorrow we are going to see that Papagallo is able to, with that question, lose some family, find that point to press through Max's emotional armor, and he is going to elicit quite the reaction from Max, which we'll talk about pretty much first thing tomorrow. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 61 of The Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.